black preachers who are, are racist in their hearts. Uh, they, are, they are not called by God, but they've been called by their mama. The Jesse Lee Peterson Show is the only program in existence which deals straight up with black Americans. So-called civil rights leaders want them angry, dumbed down, and demoralized. It's not the leaders that blacks need, but good fathers and mothers. Welcome to the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Again, I appreciate your emails, phone calls, and letters about this show and other shows, and uh, suggestions that you may make as far as who you'd like to see on the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. I have with me today Dr. Larry Bates. He is uh, he's a radio talk show host on Information Radio Network, a national radio talk show host, and an, an economist, right? Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. It's good to be with yeah, you, Jesse. Thank you so much. You know, the first thing I want to clear up, maybe for myself, but definitely for other people, during the election, uh, the Democrats were saying things about the president, some true, some not true. One of the things they said is that the job market went down, that we lost jobs as a result of President Bush being in office. And my question to you, did we lose job, gain, or maintain the same? Oh, we lost jobs because we were in a recession. Now, you know, a lot of people say, uh, and give you an example, Senator John Edwards, who was the Democratic nominee for vice president. Yes. I heard him very impassioned one day saying, this is the Bush recession, and President Bush has got to take responsibility and ownership of his recession. Well, it told me two things. First of all, the senator was either didn't know what he was talking about or he did, and if he did know what he was talking about, uh, then he was a bit disingenuous uh, in his whole approach because yes. Jesse, a president, does not control much about the economy. Now, you cannot blame a recession on a president. You cannot take credit for the good times. Now, if you could blame it on a president, it would be the Clinton recession. Why? Because this recession began six months prior to George W. Bush taking office. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, it was the Clinton recession and uh, because of the downturn, we lost jobs. But because of uh, President Bush's tax cuts, we are having an increase in jobs coming along. And, and the only thing a president can do, Jesse, to help the economy is reduce your taxes and reduce the size and scope of the federal government. That is the only thing a president can do other than be a cheerleader for the right. economy. How can we recognize or can we recognize that the recession had started or began before President Bush took office? Because most people think that we were doing fine, jobs were everywhere, people were, you know, fat in the wallet uh, during President Bush, I'm uh, Clinton's time. Well, we saw the stock market for one thing. Yeah, I remember. And, and of course, these are indicators that go in down to the, when you have several quarters in a row where you have a, a decrease in the amount of economic activity, uh, which would indicate you're getting into a recession. Right. And, and, of course, there are a lot of different measures of how to measure recession um, uh, as far as your gross domestic product uh, increases or decreases for several quarters in a row. Okay. And, um, you know, <coughs> but the main thing is that uh, jobs are, are one thing that we, we measure, stock market and jobs. Now, why the stock market? Well, we had the so-called boom of the 90s in the stock market. And people thought this was the greatest economic expansion in 50 years, and it was true. But they forgot to talk about the fact this expansion was financed with borrowed money. Yeah. 
and it was kind of a boom time. We had the, the uh, dot-com bust, we had Enron go under, and as a result, uh, it was an overinflated market. It's kind of like uh, the economy was on a drunk. And yeah. a recession is a hangover. That's right. A depression is a bad hangover. So uh, when you when you pump more money and credit into the economy, you get boom times. I hear a lot of uh, people saying that the tax cut that the president provided last term, or the end of this term, beginning of this term, was only for the rich and not for the middle class and poor. Well, poor don't work anyway, but the middle class, only for the rich. Well, you know, a tax cut means a reduction in the amount of taxes you're paying. Now, if you're not paying any taxes, it's not going to affect you. Right. And so you shouldn't be worried about it. Yeah. And it's only for those who are paying taxes. And, of course, people who are not paying taxes, they're getting uh, tax income credits. And as a result, they're getting money from the federal government. Right. And so uh, all this is is across-the-board tax cuts. This means if you make more money, you pay more taxes, you're going to get, if you have a percentage, 10% of 100000 uh, is more than 10% of 50000 Right. So if you're making 100000 you get a 10% cut, you're going to get more money back. And so this thing uh, that a tax cut is for the rich, uh, it simply means if you're going to be fair and equitable, uh, you get across-the-board tax cuts. Yes. And if you make more, you pay more. And if you get a tax cut, you get more back. It's that simple. And so because most people don't understand that, they have a perception that uh, the president, or President Bush at least, the Republicans are for the rich and, and against, I guess, the middle class and the poor because they don't understand how that works. Well, let, let me tell you what the, uh, the Democratic Party has been uh, totally dishonest in the portrayal of this president's uh, tax cut. Yes. Why? Because they say it's tax cuts for the rich, and he's not for the poor. Now, that is nothing but a political spin. It, it's like perception is reality. Yes. And so if they give the perception to folks out here, the Democratic Party is guilty of stirring up the politics of envy. And that is uh, demonic at its roots. Because yes. envy is, uh, you know, the Bible talks about don't be envious of somebody else. Don't covet another person's goods. Yes. And so as a result, uh, people that have a skewed and, and uh, an ignorant view of government think that government ought to provide for folks. See, government doesn't produce one bushel of wheat or one barrel of oil or one bit of medical service. Yes. It has to take from those who are productive and then give it to the beneficiary of the politician's choice. Why do, why do uh, majority of people, not all, but majority of people seem to follow whatever the government says? You know, the Democrats are good at lying and deceiving people, but so many people believe them. Why is that? Well, people believe the lie, Jesse, because they want to believe the lie. And that's generally why people believe the lie. And we, we have a controlled media in this country. This controlled media has been a major proponent of socialism and ultimately communism uh, yes. under a one-world government. Uh, they love the United Nations, as corrupt as it is. Uh, they love big government, and they love lying politicians, as long as they are promoting the agenda that they, uh, they have lined out. I have never seen in this recent election so much bias coming from the control media. It was just, uh, it wasn't even hidden, Jesse. Yeah, no. <laughs> Were you surprised at the outcome of the election as 
meaning numbers of people who went out and voted for the president? I was pleased. Mm -hmm. Let me say that. As far as surprised, I've been praying that God's people would be stirred. And I made this statement prior to the election that if God's people didn't get stirred up and get out and vote, that John Kerry would be the next president. Right. And I believe that God's people came out, at least that's what the Democrats say. Yes. And uh, in fact, Michael Moore, who is the, uh, <laughs> the producer of this uh, propaganda film, Fahrenheit 9-11, he was on a uh, show the other night, and he has the map of the United States. He has uh, the United States of Canada. He's proposing like California, where, where you live, and, and the Northeast be provinces of Canada, and he calls the rest of the country Jesus land. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Jesus land. Well, praise God. I That's want to right. live in like Jesus that. land. That's right. Um, I noticed that uh, in places like California, when you look at the map, uh, small, right in the inner city areas is blue, but the rest is red. Exactly. So you, by county. Yeah. See, the president even carried the majority of counties in California. I was surprised by that. I knew he would do pretty good, but I didn't expect what he got in California. Believe but me. you take Los Angeles, <clears throat> you take San Francisco, big population centers, that is where John Kerry and the Democrats, and generally in population centers, is where they have forced people into the urban areas and they have enticed them with government programs. Yes. And because of the government programs, they turn out to vote for big government candidates. Yeah, I was disappointed, but not surprised at the number of black Americans who voted for John Kerry, in spite of the debate during the election about the moral issues. And I know it's because uh, most men don't think for themselves, and also the black preachers were promoting economics and uh, free health care. Uh, even Jesse Jackson said that uh, same-sex marriage issue is not a black issue. It's not, it's not an issue black people should be concerned about. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> so. In other words, so black people are supposed to be amoral, huh? Apparently. Yeah, that's what they promoted. So black people are supposed to be amoral, and so white people are supposed to be moral, so, you know, this is where we have a divide. Isn't, isn't that the lie of the devil? But even though 60% of black Americans voted for an amendment to the Constitution, you know, stated that a marriage is between one man and one woman. They are, they are not supporting that, but their leadership is trying. I had a, uh, a Reverend Joseph Lowry from Atlanta on my radio show, and he is one of the founders of Southern Christian Leadership Conference, That's right. along with Dr. Martin Luther King. Not and he, too, him. was for the uh, economics and free health care over moral issues. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take preachers for an example. Preachers should not be promoting government health care. That's right. They ought to be promoting biblical health care. Right. In That's other right. words, let the sick among you come to the elders of the church. You lay hands on them and they shall recover. That's, That's what right. the Bible says. That's right. Now, what in the world is a preacher <laughs> doing? And a lot of people ask me, Jesse, why do we see miracles on foreign mission fields in foreign lands and, uh, and we don't see them here in the United yeah, States. That's right. And my answer to this is that we have too much Blue Cross and Blue Shield. That's for sure. And we don't depend upon God. We're, yeah. We say, God, we don't really need you. We'll take the government health care over your health care. I asked uh, ask Reverend Lowry about the scripture of seeking first the kingdom of God and his right way and everything will be added. And he hung up. He got mad and just hung up on me. So they, uh, but I do have good news. There were some black preachers who, in the past, have supported the Democratic Party, who came out this time. More of them came out this time than the last 40 years in support of President Bush and more issues.
Absolutely. So there was a, there is a, a little slight change happening there. Well, you see, for many, many years, uh, our black brothers have worked hard and rightfully so to get off the white man's plantation. Yes. But now we have white and black politicians trying to put them on the government's plantation. That's right. And slavery is slavery, Jesse, regardless right. of who the slave master is. That's right. The uh, economic situation, um, President Bush has been in office now for almost four years, you know, coming into this year, beginning of this year, next year. Uh, is it getting better or is it better? Or do you expect more from him? Tax cuts and things is coming in the next four years. How's the situation right now? Well, Jesse, my only criticism of this president is that he did not ask for enough tax cuts. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I was vindicated the other day when the newly named Nobel Prize winner in economics, uh, professor down at Arizona State University in Tempe, came out and said the president should have asked for more tax cuts. Now, why is that? We have a debt-based economy. We have a debt-based monetary system, which means that if you and I don't go and borrow the banker's money, then this economy is going nowhere. Yes. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you get any credit card offers in the mail the last week or two? I did. Yeah. I guess I'm, What's yes. that all about? Yeah. That is simply trying to get you to borrow the banker's money right. and spend it into circulation. I got a bunch of them, matter of fact. Exactly. Yeah, I normally just shred them up and throw them away, but I got a lot of them. So if we don't go borrow the banker's money, then what happens is the government will be encouraged by the bankers right. to go and run deficits and borrow it on our behalf. Now, whether it's to spend money on social programs, that's what the Democrats want to do. They want to spend the money on the social programs, programs they control, or borrow the money, run deficits, or print the money. See, there's no other way to get it. When government spends money, either tax it, borrow it, or print it. Right. And so uh, tax cuts, when you have tax cuts, it helps us because we have more money to spend as we want to instead of sending it to the government. And that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it so does. In that way we don't have to go to the banker and borrow the money and spend it in the circulation. But if you don't control the government spending, then we run deficits, and then as a result the Federal Reserve prints the money, and this is why we see the dollar at the lowest level of ever against the euro. Mm -hmm. Our dollar is losing value every day because we simply are consuming more than we're producing. Can we expect more ca uh, tax cuts uh, coming within the next four years, you think? I think you'll see these current tax cuts made permanent. That'd be the step number one that he'll take. Made permanent? Made permanent. Meaning that once, if the Democrat, God forbid, ever take over again, they can't reverse it? They'd have to get <coughs> the majority of the vote in both houses of Congress, oh, okay. and uh, then the president would have to sign it into law. But since the Republicans control the House and the Senate, it'd be virtually impossible to get enough votes to uh, repeal the tax cuts. Uh, uh, minimum wages, what is the real deal with that? Well, let me ask you this. If you are an employer, can the government by law determine how much an employee is worth to you? No. Can't do it? Can't do it. No, no absolutely not. So in other words, uh, minimum wage for an example, will cost jobs. Why? Let's say you have a person that is running a fast food operation or uh, a labor-intensive operation, and the minimum, he is mandated that he has to raise the minimum wage. Yes. Well, let's say right now that he's only getting marginal work out of his current employees, yeah. and he's having a tough time making it. So one or two things will happen. 
if you raise the minimum wage and, and, and he's not making, he's barely making a profit right now, and let's say he has to pay another dollar, two dollars an hour for minimum wage, and these people aren't that productive, then he's probably going to lay them off mm -hmm. and saying, hey, I'll do it myself. I will size down my business to where I can do the job. Right. And, uh, and so as a result, it will cost jobs to our least skilled employees and it will hurt the people who are least skilled of all. Like in our company, we have nobody makes minimum wage. They're all much above the minimum wage. Uh, but at the same time, if, if you had minimum wage, you had an employee that wasn't really that productive, yeah. and you had to pay them more than they were really worth, then what's going to happen? They're going to lose their job. You and know, minimum wage will be a disaster. Nowadays, it's hard to find good, hard-working employees anyway. <clears throat> and I would hate to be forced to pay these people more than what they're worth. Um, is there like a minimum wage law or something that's on the books right now? There is. There is a federal minimum wage, and then you have certain states have state minimum wages that exceed the federal, mm -hmm. which I think federal is somewhere five thirty-five, five fifteen, five thirty-five an hour, and um, that's the federal minimum wage. Now. That is simply entry level. Right. Uh, walk into a fast food store, and you have most of the workers, if they don't have good supervision, they're standing there talking yeah. to one another, That's and they, right. they don't pay attention to what's going on. That's right. Now, uh, I, I get frustrated walking yeah. into a fast food store <laughs> because the thing I want to say is, hey, folks, pay attention. That's you right. have customers here. But they're more concerned about what they're going to do after work than doing the work while yeah. they were there. Now, if you're mandated, you have to pay these people more than they're actually worth, then what's going to happen is the employer will have to raise the price of his goods. You and I will pay for it. And uh, which means you, you minimum wage causes the, the wage spiral, and it will cause the prices to go up accordingly, and generally prices go up faster than do wages. Let me ask you uh, another question about this minimum wage law. Um, is there something like a mandate that every year, because of this law, uh, the wages have to be increased? Or do is there someone that has to vote on it each year? If they will have to vote. Uh, there was a, uh, in the current law, I think we've reached the, the maximum, the okay. mandate of this current law. And then it would have to be reauthorized as far as to expand it beyond the current limits of the minimum wage. And this is why we saw Senator Kerry was guaranteeing people that yeah. he would uh, propose a, an increase in the minimum wage, yeah. uh, a lot of other Democratic politicians. And, and this re really, again, uh, why should a politician mandate what amount of your money is going to go to somebody else? Yeah. That's just not the American way. Um, who support minimum wage? I, I know the Democratic leadership supports it, but do the people support it? Well, a lot of people do support it because uh, they have come to rely upon the government to make people do things. Right. Now, why are we losing our jobs overseas? Because if you have people here that are not productive at minimum wage and you can get the same job done better, uh, in a factory overseas where they're making $2 an hour, guess where our jobs are going? Yeah. They're going overseas. I noticed that the unions are for it as well. They, they are. Really seem to. 
uh, sure. encourage that. And the unions uh, <coughs> always have had a history of being socialistic in nature, which means that they want government to force people to get more money for less work. Yeah. Now, when you have a system of you get more money for less work, then the question is raised, how can someone making $40 an hour in Detroit, uh, can somebody in uh, Midland, Texas, making $12, $15 an hour afford their, their product without yeah. having to go in debt? Yeah. I, um, I believe I heard during this lecture that in Ohio, the job market was really bad there uh, during this election. That's right. Um, I want to ask, is there a way... Uh, is there a way that we can overturn this law? Can it be overturned? And well, it could. Kinda... Uh, the best thing to do is just leave it alone. and uh, As is. As is, right. and, and never raise it. And just let people uh, be paid what they're worth in the marketplace. But that's not going to happen if the Democrats ever take over again. They're going to make sure that the, uh, the, wage, the minimum wage is increased. Oh, without question. Yeah, so. Without if... question. See, they have a big habit, Jesse. Uh, you know, Democrats means people that are for democracy. Mm -hmm. Republicans, people that are believe in a Republican form of government, a republic. Now, let's examine that. Our founding fathers did not give us a democracy. Right. They gave us a republic. Uh, yeah. We don't pledge allegiance to the democracy for which the flag stands. We pledge allegiance to the republic. Now, what's the difference? Democracy is mob rule. In other words, uh, a mob, uh, the mob rule would, uh, would show the mob is in control. Right. Now, if you and I can organize the mob and we can convince them to elect us and tell them that we're going to go get those other people's <laughs> property, just like if I hold a gun to your head and demand you empty your wallet, yeah. I can go to jail under the laws of Texas, California, Tennessee, any state in this country. But you send me to Congress and I pass a bill that empties your wallet, I'll probably get reelected by the people I gave you <laughs> money right. to. See, stealing is stealing, regardless yeah. of the name we try to call it by. So democracy is mob rule. Now, let's look at the history of democracies. Uh, Alfred Fraser Tyler, who was a British professor over 200 years ago, said a democracy is a temporary and transitional form of government on the way to totalitarian government. He said a democracy can last only as long and until a majority of the people discover they can vote themselves largesse or large gifts out of the public treasury yeah. and they'll continue to elect the politician promising the most and the end result is always a fall of that democracy due to economic ruin and chaos. Now, a republic is ruled by law. What does the law do? It protects life, liberty, and property. And, and you see, this is the honest form of government, mm -hmm. protection of life, liberty, and property. And uh, if the law is to protect the individual right, then the law logically cannot be used to subvert the individual right, right. to life, liberty, and property. Yes. You know, I, I mentioned the Ohio job market. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but in the next half hour, I want you to explain to the people what happened to the job market in uh, uh, Ohio because a lot of people are trying to blame that on the president as well. That's right. Um, in the few minutes that we have left, I know that you have a free economic package that can, people can get. Tell us a little bit about that package and how the people can get it. Well, one thing, uh, economics is nothing 
uh, real difficult. It's really simple. Economics is nothing but human action, Jesse. And uh, we put together a free economic education package that helps people to understand how the money system works, how the banking system works. And it's a 28-page report. And I guarantee people, once you've read that and understood it, it's written in simple, easy to under understand language. You'll know more than the average bank president does down the street from yeah. you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they can get that free economic package by calling a toll-free number. And that toll-free number is 1-800-325-325. 0919. That's the free economic package, 800-325-0919. You know, it's, it's interesting you said that economics is easy to understand, but just the sound of it gave me a headache, you know, because it seems like a lot of adding and subtracting and figuring out, but it's not that difficult. No, it's not that difficult because, you know, economics is human action. And uh, why do we get up and go to work in the morning? To make money. Yes. Now, what's money? Money answereth to everything. That's what Ecclesiastes 10:19 says. Money answereth all things. But most people don't understand that uh, there's a person more powerful than the president of the United States when it comes to money and economics, and that's the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. Mm. Uh, he determines what the average person's car payment's going to be, what their house payment's going to be, whether you have a job or not. He's more powerful than the president of the United States. He's That's one amazing. of the monopoly men. That's amazing. Uh, so this, this uh, economic package will help the average person understand oh, how, how to make it You'll work. You'll understand uh, how the banking system works. You'll understand how uh, the political system works with it. You'll understand money. Uh, you'll understand IRAs, stock market, the whole nine yards. And what's that phone number again? It's 800-325 0919. 800-325-0919. That's right. Okay, I highly recommend that people get it. Um, in the Midland area, can people hear your radio show? They um, cannot. We, uh, we're on a station, and this station changed formats. And oh, so okay. we're looking for a new affiliate station here. All right. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on, and I'm going to keep you over. I, I want to ask you about investments and uh, other um, means of uh, earning a living, buying homes and things like that, and just a good time. So we'll pick up on it in the next segment. Very good. Right? I appreciate you tuning in. I'm going to keep Dr. Bates over. He's going to have on the same clothes. So will I. It's like we're staying overnight, but we're not taking a shower or changing clothes. Let me hear from you about this subject matter, any other subject matter that uh, you've seen on the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. Appreciate you tuning in. God bless you, and take care. Thank you, Dr. Bates. You bet. Good to be Welcome to the Jesse Lee Peterson Show. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am doing a two-part series with Dr. Larry Bates. He is a national radio talk show host with Information Radio Network and also an economist. And he's, gonna, he's helping us to understand how uh, the economy works. So make sure you tune in. Call everybody to the TV here. They want to hear this. We also have a free package that he will be giving away at the end of this broadcast. So be ready to write down the phone number so you can order this economic package. Uh, Dr. Larry thank you so much for staying over. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to um, be with you. You know what I want to talk about first is uh, investments. 
silver and gold, which is best to invest in at this point in time in life? Well, one thing we do is we don't call silver and gold an investment. Well, you don't. Uh, just like uh, we look like a $20 bill out of your pocket or a $100 bill, we don't look at that as an investment, do we? Right. Because uh, that's your money. And silver and gold happens to be money. In fact, silver and gold is the lawful currency of the United States. We just try to get away from it. But Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution says no state shall make anything tender in the payment of debt but gold or silver coin. Now, if you look at any bill in your wallet, it will have on there, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Now, right. what does that mean? This means that if I owe you, say, $1,000, and I tender you 10 $100 bills, and you say, well, wait a minute, I don't want that. Uh, I, I want something different than this 10 $100 bills, and you refuse to take it. Under the legal tender laws, my debt to you is extinguished. Mm -hmm. So in other words, by having the legal tender laws, we are forced to take this currency in the payment of debt. It says this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. So they force you to take this particular currency. That's now, amazing. that's uh, when we gave the Federal Reserve a monopoly on the creation of paper money, then that's when we started enforcing the legal tender laws. Now, let's go back to 1787. Uh, we had a problem back in the early colonies. Uh, they were paying debt with perishable agricultural products. Let's say again, I owe you $1,000, and uh, I grow watermelons. I grow some fine watermelons, and uh, I love watermelons. You like watermelons, and the market price of watermelons is $2 each. So mm -hmm. let's do the math. $2 times 500 watermelons, and that's $1,000. So I load up my truck. And I back this truck up to your front yard. I unload my 500 watermelons. Jesse, you're paid. Now, uh, there's no way, I don't care how much you like watermelons, no way you can eat all those melons. And the same thing if you had uh, eggs or, or anything that's perishable. They, the problem they had was you would have to scramble to trade those watermelons for something else that you wanted to eat right. or something you wanted to wear. And so they were using perishable agricultural products to... Uh, settled debt. And so Roger Sherman, who was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention of 1787, wrote a paper called A Treatise Against Injustice, The Evils of a Fluctuating Medium of Exchange. Now, uh, the problem was that everybody was settling debt with perishable agricultural products, right. fluctuating medium of exchange. And so uh, he was responsible for Article One, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution that says no state shall make anything tender in the payment of debt but gold or silver coin. And so it established the stable currency, mm -hmm. and it was not fluctuating anymore. And George Washington, uh, six months after the ratification of the Constitution of 1787, uh, he wrote a letter to one of his contemporaries over in Europe. He said, in so many words, he said, our Tax revenues to the government are more than we ever anticipated. Uh, the trade and commerce is flourishing. The moneyed people have brought their coin into circulation. In other words, good times are here again. Right. And the economy worked great. Up until 1913, when we passed the Federal Reserve Act, we gave the bankers a monopoly on the creation of paper money. 
They eventually took us off a gold and silver standard. We're now on a paper standard where this fluctuating medium exchange, we have these paper currencies, the dollar floats against the euro, the British pound, all these other currencies. All these paper currencies are sinking, some just sinking faster than others. Mm -hmm. So we're back to the evils of a fluctuating medium exchange because as Barry Dennison, one of our staff economists in our Western office in Colorado, says the Hebrew uh, view of money is it's frozen labor. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, if you and I work today, we get paid uh, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. We expect that money that we set aside to have the same value tomorrow, next week, next month, a year, 10 years from now, as it did the day we produced the labor. Mm. And so when we have a fluctuating medium exchange and we dilute the money, this means that our money is not going to have the same amount of value right. a year from now, 10 years from now, that it did the day we produced the labor. And so who made these decisions? The people that made that decision to get a bait, that kind of control? No, it was... Or who made that decision? It was the Congress. And uh, there, there was a small group of people, Congress, the Senate... Uh, these monopoly men, the Fed big bankers, had been trying to push this thing for a long time. Even President Andrew Jackson of Tennessee, he vetoed the National Banking Act. And they even tried to assassinate him uh, over the deal. And on his tombstone in Hermitage, Tennessee, Jesse, is inscribed on Je Andrew Jackson's tombstone, I killed the bank. Mm. And so he, had, he was yeah. at war with the bankers. And when you read his veto message of the National Banking Act, I mean, he understood economics. He said in so many words, he said, it is not the function of Congress to give the rich and the powerful a powerful advantage right. over the working man, the common laborer. And as a result, he was uh, trying to write an injustice that they were trying to perpetrate on the American people. Now, how did they do that? Sir Josiah Stamp, a former president of the Bank of England, said, bankers on the earth, take the earth away from them but leave them the power to create money, then they'll create enough money to buy back the earth. Hmm. See, I as a bank president, I've literally created millions of dollars out of thin air with a stroke of my pen, and then I charged interest on that which I created out of nothing. Is, um, is this too far gone to turn around? That's debatable. Um, it is too far gone to turn around without a lot of pain. And I guess the question we'd have to ask are the American people willing to accept the right. pain to turn it around? Now, biblically speaking, when I read in Revelation 18.4, it talks about Mystery Babylon, which is that demonic blend of the world system of economics, politics, and religion. Right. It says, come out of her, my people, lest you participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Now, which would indicate to me that the system, the economic system, is going to collapse worldwide. It will. It will collapse. There's no way around it. So you well, you can't, say worldwide here too in this country. Here in this country. It may start in this country because ever since 1971 when President Nixon took us off the gold standard, every economic crisis in the world, Jesse, has been a currency crisis. Now, here's the thing we have to understand, that even in the midst of economic crisis or even economic collapse, wealth is not destroyed it's simply transferred. Right. And you know, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is going to be transferred to the righteous. But I believe it's only going to be transferred to those who understand the system. Yes. 
If you don't understand the system, you're going to miss the transfer. If it should collapse, will we then go back to gold? Or? I think ultimately we will go back to gold oh, okay. if it were to collapse. Now, uh, John Maynard Keynes, who is the architect of this current economic system, he was a British economist. Uh, uh, he was pretty well put up to this thing by the bankers. And he wrote a book back in 1920 called The Economic Consequences of the Peace. And uh, think about that term, the economic consequences of having peace. Right. And, and, of course, President Bush, he had to play the hand he was dealt. We got attacked on September the 11th. Yes. Uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, there's, there's a lot of documentation that Saddam Hussein was even behind the blowing up of the Oklahoma City Federal Building. Right. And uh, it's, it's well documented by an NBC reporter on that case. So there was a link to terrorism from Saddam Hussein. This president had to fight the war, the war on terrorism. Now, at the same time, Osama bin Laden had some banker or bankers managing and moving his hundreds of millions of dollars yes. of inheritance. So you've got some international bankers fun funding and financing both sides of this conflict. The French and the Germans and the Russians were opposed to us. Why? Because they were bankers for Saddam Hussein. So as a result, uh, this conflict is producing uh, economic activity, uh, but it's not exactly positive. We just have to go in and do the job, clean it up, and then go about our business. But so, so the collapsing of it is a good thing. It could be a good thing. Oh, it, you see, for an example, uh, it's kind of like a hangover. A hangover uh, is, is, is an economic recession. Yes. That, that's the, that's a, a recession is an economic hangover. A depression is a bad economic hangover. That's where you have really some, some really serious pain. Mm -hmm. But most people are not willing to take the pain. Right. Absolutely. So once you go down this slippery slope of a debt-based economy and debt-based monetary system, you're always having to produce more money and credit and increasing the debt bubble that will eventually collapse. There's no way around it. You cannot bar yourself into prosperity. People who are wise in this area, who knows and understand economics, they, they have to know that eventually it's going to collapse, right? Exactly. Do they want it to collapse? Well, they always want to be in charge. Now, why is that? Because when we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of sin, paradise ended. The free lunch was over. We had to go to work. That's right. And ever since that day in the Garden of Eden, man, because of his sinful nature, has always tried to perfect the art of riding the backs of other people. Mm -hmm. See, for an example, slavery. Slavery was a, uh, one of the most immoral things we ever had going in this country. Right. Uh, why? Because people had discovered a way to ride the backs of the black man. Mm -hmm. Now, we have slavery going on in other parts of the world right now. And so as a result, you have people like uh, the Democratic Party. They use now former, the ancestors of slaves yeah. to then accomplish their purpose to enslave people and get them on the government's plantation. Slavery is slavery, regardless right. of, of who the slave master is. So. I agree. So we're, everybody's trying to ride the backs of other people. And uh, that's rebellion to God's choices. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. How should uh, men and women of God uh, 
how should they be thinking and acting or what should they be doing in times like this and those difficult moments to come in this area? Well, you know, go back to what the Word of God says like the men of Issachar. They understood the times. Right. See, most people don't understand the times we're living in. This is new ground for a lot of them because yes. part of the American people have the attitude that nothing bad can happen to us. This is That's America. Right. And uh, they're totally oblivious. Now, here's the danger. President Bush was reelected. A lot of godly people are going to go to sleep. Yes. And it's a bad thing to do. They're do not go to sleep. Why? Because this president was given some political capital but unless we continue to support the righteous policies of this president, then uh, he's going to spend all his capital and have no capital to fall back on. But as we get in support of him and agitate and, and, and get public opinion buying into his program by educating other people to what's the right thing to do, then righteousness will exalt the nation. That's right. But if we don't, then the wicked are going to get a foothold in and, and they'll rule the land. So uh, men and women of God in this time should be supporting the, the righteous aspect of the president. Absolutely. Getting behind him. Um, so, how, support how, those things that are good, right. but if he goes astray, then rebuke, uh, him, on rebuke him on the things that are not. That's uh, every man because, think about it, Jesse, uh, the president of this country, almost 300 million people. Yes. Awesome job. And there's no way, uh, if this man was not in the Word of God every day and on his knees in prayer, there'd be no way he would know what to do That's to right. lead this nation. He makes that clear, too. That he he looks to God for guidance, you know. He looks to wisdom to make decisions and things like that. Um, how does one prepare themselves, uh, spiritually or mentally or both, for these times, how, how, how does a Chris, how would a Christian get an order for that? First thing we have to do is raise our level of understanding. Of By doing this, what? Well, uh, make your, avail yourself of resources. In fact, we make available to people who listen to this broadcast, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, a free economic education package, and we'll give the number right. at the very end of it. And start understanding. Uh, the times we're living, understand the economy, understand politics. Uh, it's not difficult. It's really pretty simple. Yes. And uh, I was raised on a farm in Middle Tennessee, and my dad always said, son, get the hay down where the cows can eat it. And, uh, and so God has given me a gift to take a complex subject of economics, banking, finance, and to make it really simple. I have to tell you, you know, you read about the end times in the Bible, or you hear preachers preach about the end times, and it sounds scary, you know. It, it looked like you won't be prepared to deal with those things. And so what I hear you say that the uh, economy is going to collapse at some point, it sounds like we're all going to suffer as a result of that. No, we're not. But you're saying we don't have to suffer. We don't have to suffer because, you know, the wealth of the wicked is going to be transferred to the righteous. Right. And I can tell you historically, in the natural, and also confirmed by God's Word, that... The wealth of the wicked will be transferred to the righteous, but I can tell you it will be transferred to those who have wisdom and understanding and understand the times and understand the system that we're in. So we have to seek God for the wisdom. That's right. We have to read information about how to do certain things, how That's to right. understand the economy better. And, and here's the key, Jesse. In 
periods of economic crisis, economic downturn, wealth is never destroyed. It is simply transferred. Transfer. Ownership changes. Yeah. And so money is the transfer agent. So therefore, since money is the transfer agent, isn't it important that we understand money yes, right. and how it functions, who creates it, and, and the right forms of money to be in? I've, I've always been told that uh, money is the root of all evil. And so up until recently, you know, until I started to mature, I didn't really know how or I don't even think I wanted to have a relationship with money. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, because I was told that all my life I was afraid that I would have the wrong relationship with evil money and it would damage me in some kind of way. See, there are was... many people who are thinking that today. How can you, how can you convince them that, I, I guess that is, it can be true, but they shouldn't worry about that. Well, if the scripture correctly says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right. Not money. See, money is, uh, you know, has no personality of its own. Money takes on the personality of the person who has it. Right. <laughs> money is a weapon. Yes. Spiritual gifts are weapons. But, see, we should never allow our weapons to become our identity. Uh, I look at money as a weapon. For what? to inflict damage upon the kingdom of Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what the proper view of money should be. And, and so, see... And how do you inflict damage upon Satan? Well, what you do is you have someone that's uh, down and out, and uh, they need some help. You have an opportunity to minister to them, and uh, you help them out. And uh, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, says the Lord. Yes. And so this is the the proper way that we should be helping. The church should be the welfare system. Right. And that way it, you have people that you have accountability. So Christians should be, shouldn't be afraid of money. Not at all. Just watch their relationship with the money. They don't get a sense of identity, a God-like identity from it. That's right. You're saying that. I, I want to ask one other question about gold and silver. Um, so are you saying that we should be buying gold and putting it away? Absolutely. We, we, should buy it. we ought to have at least 30 to 50% of our total assets in gold and silver coins. 30, Why? 30 to 50%. That's right. Because gold and silver is money. Anything else is credit. Now, right. let's say that you have a lot of your assets tied up in real estate. Right. And you don't have 30 to 50% in cash. Then what I would do is use another formula, put half of your cash holdings, your money market funds, your CDs, and your savings accounts, the checking accounts, put half of that in gold and silver coin. Really? Um, should I buy both or more of one or buy the same, gold and silver? Or? I would uh, put 60% in silver and 40% in gold. And so you buy this and you put it in the bank. Bank. You could put it under the mattress. You could put it in the, you know, <laughs> How do you know when home? to use it, though? I mean, well, there, how do you know there when, are two to, things. Two when things, to move it again? Two things will happen. The first thing is more probable. That is where the... More what? more probable okay. than the other okay. one. First scenario is this. The dollar loses 50 to 80% of its value, and, uh, but the payment system still works, i.e. the banking system still functions. Right. We, we, our dollars just lost a lot of value. All right, we simply trade in the gold and silver for more paper money than we paid for it. Oh, I see. And then you spend that as you need to oh, spend it. Oh, I got it. you. So when the dollar, when the value of the dollar go down, the, the price, value of the uh, gold goes up. Exactly. And so you take that gold then and trade it in for the dollar. For more dollars. And you get more dollars then. Exactly. 
Oh, okay. So it, I never it, knew that. Really, the gold and silver is not worth any more today saying it was in 1920. Right. You, you take a 1920 $20 gold piece, say a 1925 for an example. A $20 gold piece in 1929 uh, was like a $20 bill today. But today, if you bought that $20 gold piece, you've got to have about uh, 27 $20 gold piece, $20 bills to buy that one $20 gold piece. See, oh, that okay. gold is not worth any more today than it was in 1925. Right. It's just your paper money is worth less. That's amazing. That's and so here's, here's the second scenario, Jesse. Second scenario is this. Because of terrorism, uh, outright loss of confidence in our economy or natural disaster, the banking system collapses. Then you use the gold and silver as a barter currency. Oh, okay. And uh, does that happen when we have a war, when we're at war as well? Does the dollar bill go down and gold and silver goes up during the wartime? Well, it could because a lot of times we print the money to pay for the war. Right. And uh, when you're printing more money, it's kind of like if I serve you a black cup of coffee and you're after the caffeine in the coffee and I pour clear hot water into your coffee, then you got to drink a lot more coffee to get the same amount of caffeine. Same way, way with your money. If you print up too much money, you got to have a lot more of it to buy the same amount of goods and services. Uh, let me ask you this. How, where do you look to know when the dollar bill is going down and it's time to trade in your gold and silver? Is there a place to look for that? Yeah, there's a place to look. Uh, in fact, uh, our websites, uh, we, our publications. You uh, keep up with that kind of we thing? We keep up with that. And people can go to your website and see what's happening with the dollar. Exactly. And, and from that, they would know if it's time to... So. For an example, the dollar has hit the lowest level against the euro in history. Right now? Right now. And so now's a good time to sell then? No, no. Now's a good time to still be buying the gold, gold and silver. silver. Okay. Why? Because the dollar is going to go much lower. Oh, I see. And so as a result, you will use the gold and silver to keep your purchasing power intact because gold is still relatively low compared to where we think it's going to be right. here in a few years. Um, one other question, then I have one other question, then your information. Um, does, um, is gold always uh, more than silver? I mean, does silver sometimes worth more than gold? Well, historically, gold has always been more than silver because gold is a monetary metal. Silver is not only a monetary metal, it's an industrial metal. And there's a lot of people speculating that silver is probably going to appreciate more percentage-wise than gold because it's more scarce right now. Oh, okay. There is more uh, gold above ground than there is silver, and most people don't know that. Well, if you can buy, if you can only afford to buy one uh, or the other, gold or silver, which one would you recommend that people buy? Go silver. Go silver? Yes. Um, is this plan for poor people too? Let's yes. say that you know you make eight dollars an hour. Would you still recommend that they buy gold and silver? Yeah, it, for an example, uh, it just you know the rich man to those who much is given, much more is required. Yes. And so we are all to be stewards of whatever God has given us. And if you're a poor man and you just have a, a you know fifty, a hundred dollars, sure you ought to have a reserve because you got to protect that fifty, a hundred dollars compared to the guy who has 50 or $100 million. Yeah. And, and so we're all accountable for whatever measure God has given us. We have about two minutes left. 
Um, we, if you bought gold and silver, where, I know you said you can keep it under the, the mattress at home. Or, is it best to put it in the bank? Or well, you can put it in a bank lockbox. But suppose uh, the bank go, goes out of business or something. Well, the market will tell us, Jesse, when it's time to bring it home. When you oh, see okay. gold up to $1,500, $2,500 an ounce, you see silver up to $25 to $50 an ounce, the market is telling us things are not right in the economy, and you might want to start bringing it home. And can the people determine the market by going to your website? Or would sure. they have to look at... Fox well, News or something. Oh, you could look at Fox <laughs> News. You could look at the newspapers. It will tell you the price, the spot price of gold and silver. Do you have to be educated to know all this, or just is a matter of paying attention? Well, we don't have to be educated to know that uh, a dollar bill in our pocket will buy so much goods. Oh, okay. We've just gotten off the gold and silver standard, and uh, yeah. we've gone to paper money. That makes sense. Tell the people how to get this free economic package from your website. Sure. Or from you, your... you can just simply call a toll-free number. Uh, that's 800-325-0919. That's in just uh, ask for the free economic package. And tell them you heard it on the Jesse Lee Peterson on uh, God's Learning Channel. Right. That number again is 800-325-0919. And anybody can get it. Absolutely. It. You know, I've learned a lot today. I think that when they taught that in school, I was out picking cotton. I had to help the white man with his cotton, so I didn't go to school that day. I've learned more today about economics than I've ever known. Let me tell you something, Jesse. I did a guest lectureship at a major university with people working on masters and doctorates, and most of them didn't have a clue how it worked either. Well, I appreciate you coming and helping me today. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. And thank you for tuning in. My name is Jesse Lee Peterson, and I'm founder and president of BOND, the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. Our purpose is to rebuild the family by rebuilding the man. We are a nonprofit organization, been around for almost 15 years now. We have a home for young men aged 13 to 25, helping them to overcome anger, uh, find jobs, finish school, start businesses, and we have done it without the help of the government. I also host the Jesse Lee Peterson Show right here on uh, Primetime Christian Broadcast, God's Learning Channel, and I invite you to tune in, and if you have any questions or information about, uh, uh, ideas about the show, give me a call. My information is right there, my website, my phone number. Do not hesitate to give me a call. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate your emails, your letters, and your phone call uh, in the past. Thank you so much, and God bless you. For an audio or video copy of this program, please call or write the address on the screen. Please include the program number when ordering.